I'll continue in our book of John. We're in the book of John, chapter 5. Some good stuff in here, and I'm not going to try to cover all these verses today. I'm just going to take one section out of uh, what we want to talk about. You had read in your hearing John 5, uh, beginning with verse 31 all the way through the end of the chapter 47. I just want to pick out just the first part. Remember, John chapter 5 is on the backdrop of Jesus healing the man at the pool. It's also, you got to remember, John doesn't so much list things in chronological order as he does in different time frames, but this is all in a series of events that happens together that John puts together to help us understand. You remember that previously, back in chapter 4 and even as we got into chapter 5, one of the things that's going on now is because John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 gives us a whole key to the whole book. What's the key? That this book of John was written that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God. Right at the very beginning, right off the bat, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and then goes on through to let us know that Jesus is God. We just came out of chapter 4 where we talked, the part of chapter 5 where he talked about when we say God, we say Jesus. When we say Jesus, we say God. You can't have one without the other. Amen? Somebody says, I love God. Well, if you love God, you got to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you got to love God. If you love God and Jesus, you got to love the third part of the Trinity, which is also the Holy Spirit. All of them are wrapped up together. You cannot, and I cannot, have one without the other. So what happens is this. Because Jesus was healing, and on this particular day, he healed on the Sabbath, which for the religious folks was a no-no, He's beginning to get people who are beginning to sense that there's something different about this man. He's breaking our laws. He's breaking our traditions. He's doing things like nobody else has done. And there's a certain, a certain rumble in the crowd that now they're trying to figure out exactly who he is, what's his purpose. And now there's some who says, you know what, he's causing enough problems that we've got to get him out of here. And that's on the backdrop of all of what Jesus has done when he healed this man at the pool by the sheep gate there in Bethesda. By the time we get to this part of the, of the chapter, we find out that Jesus is going to let us know. He said, wait a minute. You guys have been dealing with me on certain aspects of what I'm doing. Let me go back to the law. That which you love to quote. You know, we got some people in the churches and, and stuff today that are very legalistic. You know, that, that, that everything's got to be, you know. There are churches that, that used to be, I don't know, I haven't heard of any lately, but they probably are, that uh, ladies, you weren't allowed to wear pants. You weren't allowed to wear lipstick. You know, you had to dress a certain way. You couldn't wear anything flashy and colorful and all that. Men had to be in black suits and white shirts and all that. So if you dress outside of that, people will start looking at you like, wait a minute. He's not really a preacher. Why? Well, he doesn't have on a, a dark suit and a white shirt. And by God, he's definitely not a preacher because he doesn't have on a tie. My God, well, how, how, can you be, how can you be behind the sacred desk and not have a tie on? They would focus, people would focus on that more so than the word of God and what God is trying to say to us as individuals and even all of us collectively. So there's, there's, there's a certain crowd that even was following Jesus. Make no mistake, not everybody that's in the church, whether it be here at Cornerstone or any other church or the church, everybody in it is not Christian. Not everybody is following for the same reason. Not everybody has been called. Not everybody is saved and out of this group in chapter 5, Jesus is going to confront them on the very thing that they were most concerned about, the law. 
He says, all right, since you like to go back to the law, let me help you understand something. Let me help you understand who I am. And in fact, he goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, which said this, on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. What does that mean? He says, I'll tell you what. It's a certain part of the law that says you have to have at least two or three witnesses to establish a fact. Okay? And that's even true in our legalistic system. One person can't accuse you of something and get by with it. It usually has to be established by a minimum of two or three witnesses to make a phone. Is that right? So that's what you says. All right? You want witnesses to say that I am the son of God? Guess what? I'm going to do it. I was, when I was reading this, I was thinking, how many remember Perry Mason? Or I have watched it on MeTV or something or whatever. For those of you who are too young to remember Perry Mason. You know, Perry Mason was a great attorney. He never lost a case. I mean, him and that little guy that he was always going against. Poor little guy. Mason's thinking of the Harlem Globetrotters, the little dudes that used to play them. They always lost every game. Well, the guy that played opposite of Perry Mason, uh, Perry Mason was the defense attorney. The other guy was the, the prosecuting attorney. He lost every case. This is what it makes me think. Jesus is like presenting his case in a court of law. You want witnesses? I'm going to give you witnesses to show to you that I am the Son of God. He talks about three, he, there's a many lists that, that will cover this section, but I decided to give you these. Number one, he's going to talk about, number one witness he's going to call to the stand is John the Baptist. You want a witness? There's a witness, John the Baptist. Next, he talks about, he says, his own works, those things that Jesus actually did. They're going to testify for me that I am the Son of God. He's also going to talk about God the Father. Then he's going to talk about the scriptures that was given by Moses. They're going to tell you, oh, Pharisees and Sadducees and religious people, that I am the Son of God. And then the Spirit of God and then also the the disciples themselves are all going to be witnesses about who I am. I am the Son of God. So in John chapter 5, we start off here. And he lets us know in verse 31, he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. It kind of makes sense. He says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that you receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Jesus basically says this. Listen, if I talk about myself as the son of God, you may not actually really accept it and believe it. You might have some doubt. I mean, if I got up here and say, I am whoever, you know, about myself, you'd be like, dude, come on. You know, you're kind of boasting yourself up a little bit. You're propping yourself up. But if somebody else, it's like this. You might think you look bad, bad in a good way. You might think you look bad today. Like, you know, I, I, I know I got it together. You know, you might know that. But it's always better if what? Somebody else gives you the compliment. Amen? You don't walk in because you know you're looking good and got everything together. Guess what? I know I'm bad. But I, I'm looking good. I mean, ain't nobody going to tell you. No, 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 no. People be looking at you like, what is wrong with him? But when somebody else 
Says, you sure look nice today, or you sure look good today, or you do a good job on something, and they, they give you the compliment, it goes over better. That's all Jesus is trying to say here. Look, if I talk about who I am, you might be a little bit skeptical to say that, but if I establish it by the witness of others, then there is no doubt of who I am. And the first witnesses that he calls up, he calls up is John the Baptist. He says, there is another who bears witness about me. I know, that my test, I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Go read about in the Gospels, follow John the Baptist. He was always out there. He was out there, and he was declaring who Jesus was. You look at the certain passage of Scripture. He says the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, towards him, and he shouts out these words. Behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus didn't say that about himself. John the Baptist said that about him. He also talks about, in John 1.15, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That was John's testimony about Jesus. Not Jesus about himself, but somebody else. Amen? And then John 1.23, uh, he says, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. He wasn't talking about chronological birth, that John was born, for, uh, was born and then Jesus. No, he's talking about Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus in his deity, Jesus as the man of God. Listen, he was before me. Why? Because Jesus goes all the way back to eternity past. At the very day of creation, that's where Jesus was. And before there was creation, that's where Jesus was. Before there was time at all, Jesus has always been and always will be. He's not constrained by time. So that's why John could say, uh, Jesus could say that John, John could say about Jesus, he was before me. Well, yeah, he's God. Amen? So Jesus says, by the testimony of who John the Baptist, John spoke about me. He testified about me. Hear you him. See, if I say it, somebody else might, might, might not believe it. But if somebody else says it, then your ears might be pricked. It's sort of like what happens some Sundays when, when somebody else preaches. You hear my voice all the time. You kind of think, okay, we hear you all the time, Pastor. We tune you out. But somebody else comes in, and they can say the same thing, maybe in a little different way, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off in your life. just because the sound of another voice. It's like with your kids. You could be there with them 24-7 trying to teach them and do whatever, but every now and then, somebody else might be able to say something to them that you've been trying to say for 30 years or 20 years or 15 years or 10 years or 9, whatever. And all of a sudden, what? Click, the light goes off. That's what Jesus is doing here. He says, you want the law? I want to give you the law. By the establishment of other witness, guess what? Number one witness, I call to the stand John the Baptist. John, have a seat. What did you say about me? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, behold the Lamb. He also talks about that he says uh, in Ezekiel uh, 36, 26 speaks about, and he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. All this, all back in the Old Testament, everything was pointing to what? Jesus coming. The Old Testament people looked towards, they were looking forward to Christ. We, on the other hand, look what? Back on the finished work of Christ. Both have salvation. It's just a different from a different perspective. Amen? Amen? So Jesus calls up John. John, take the stand. My question to all of us today is that when it comes to the witness and bearing of who Jesus is, will he be able to call you and I 
to the witness stand and say, testify about me. He was able to do that with John the Baptist. He was able to do that because John knew who Christ was. He knew that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know what he says in verse 34? You sent, or excuse me, verse 33. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. If truth is given, you and I ought to be able to give witness to that. The word witness is used in the book of John seven times. Forty-seven times John uses the word witness. Question. Are you and I witnesses to what Jesus has done? The last song they sang talked about what God has done in your life. And if he's done something in your life, then we ought to be able to express that in our everyday living. I would not have a faith. I would not have, for lack of a better word, and I say this with quotation marks, I wouldn't have a religion that sometimes I could not feel. But my feeling does not make it a fact. What makes it a fact is what the scripture says. I can testify, you can testify, but really the reality of Christ being in my life is not my feeling, it's what the word of God has said that the reason why I have the hope within me is because of what Jesus did in his finished work on the cross. It's not based on my feelings, my salvation is based on a fact. What's the fact? Jesus died for me. He went to the cross. He bore my sins, and because what he did for me allows me to stand here today and let you know that I am saved, sanctified, holy, and all those other things. Not because I preach, not because I do whatever, but because of everything about Jesus. Everything is all all to him I owe is to Jesus Christ. Anything I am, anything I ever will be is all because of what Christ has done to me and through me and for me. If he's done it for me, he's done the same thing for you. We had a good discussion in Sunday school class. Our visitor said, it was really good. That was a good class. I said, well, you should have said something. Well, I didn't, you know, we're new. We didn't want to just jump in there. I said, go and jump in there, man. You know, it's like being at the end of the pool, just spring in there. But the other things that that, 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 that I remember we came up with, look, here it is in a nutshell. Our faith who we are as Christians is to be lived out every single, every second of every day that we live. And unfortunately, what I think is happening to many of us is we, co- we compartmentalize our salvation and our relationship to Christ. He's over here. I live my life over there. No, it's all. He wants it all. Our God is a selfish God. He really is. He says, wait a minute. You don't have what? No other gods before me. I don't care what it is. You know, we have many gods, little G's, in our lives. So it's, it's, it's our kids, it's our family, it's our job, it's our cars, it's our house, whatever. Whatever we put in place of God that becomes a God to us needs to be pushed out. And I know it's revolutionary. I know it's, you know, new to a lot of us. But God wants all of you. Every, every facet of your life is what God wants from us. He doesn't want you to say, well, you know what, this is my education over here, but God, I know, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to be part of that. No, he wants it all. He wants from the house you live in to the people that you marry to the job that you have to the, to the whatever. You name it, he wants it. 
Before you make a decision, before I make it, we really should. Not that we do, but I understand that. But the whole, the whole purpose is we should bathe it and take it to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know, I really like this guy. I really like this girl. She's cute. I mean, that's usually the first thing that you notice is the cuteness or the handsomeness. Catch your eye. You're not really worried about the spirituality part of it. Yeah, it's like, mm, she looks good. I can testify to that because that's what attracted me to my wife. She was a cute. She's still cute. You better correct that. I said was. <laughs> I know I'll hear about that from some of my sisters in the congregation. that I'll say, you said she was cute. What are you talking about, Pastor? She still is. Said, yes, she is. That was the first thing that I noticed. Then I can go back and when she was just a little younger girl and all that, but I won't do that. That's the first thing. And I would have to say after we just celebrated 31 years of being together, I would say after 31 years, the Lord was definitely in it. You know why I could say that? Because she's put up a lot with me. I'm surprised she's not saying amen. Thank you. <laughs> really loud. I mean, she's really put up with me, the good and the bad. So, uh, did I hear an amen? Okay. Uh, but yeah. Every aspect of our life is what God wants from us. And what he's trying to do to tell us in this first part of John chapter 5 is, look, the first witness I want to call is, Jesus, is John the Baptist. He was the light. He was not the light. He was a lampstand. <clears throat> See, there's a difference between being the light and being the receptacle. There's only one light. That's Jesus. But John was the lampstand through which the light shone to tell a dying world that there was one who's going to take away the sins of the world. We are not the light, contrary to what many of us think. We're not it. We're not even close to being it. But we are to take the it that is in us, being God through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in our life, we're to take that and shine wherever we go. There's not going to be anywhere we go that people should not know that there's something different about us. And what makes us different is we have him. I don't know about you, but how many places do we go that we really think about what people think? Do they know that? Not that we have to say it, but just by our countenance, just by the way we conduct ourselves, that people look at you sometimes and go, that, he's a little bit different. Not being different to be odd, being different because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. I mean, they thought John the Baptist was a crazy dude out there in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey and out there in the wilderness just doing his thing. I mean, you know, somebody, if I was doing that right now, people would say, you know, that pastor over there at Cornerstone, he's roaming around out there on their land dressed in camel skins and uh, running around <laughs> shouting throughout the neighborhood about Jesus and, and uh, he's got the long hair and, you know, there's something wrong with that guy. And you'd be right to think that. But if I'm doing it for the, for the cause and glory of God, see, sometimes we get wrapped up in what people think about us rather than doing what God wants us to do. If John, had been worried, John the Baptist had been worried about what people thought, he never would have ministered. And I know so many people that get handcuffed for not doing things for God because they're concerned about what somebody else might think. It's not about what we think, what others think. But if you're doing it for the glory of God, Listen, there's times I've started songs in, in the congregation, you know I did the other week, that I'm really off-key and off-base. But you know what? I really can't worry about that because at the moment, it's really what the Lord put on my heart. I was thinking the other day, we used to do this song right before we would pray. 
saints brothers they'd be coming down and some would get down on their knees and the pastor would pray and you get up and you go man I had a problem when I came down but now I got power why because you realize the light of the lighthouse has now what shine on you that's why I can say sometimes we, we get so sophisticated that we forget about the simplicity of the gospel. Oh, it's great to have great music. I was talking, talk, sharing with these guys. I love, great, I love to have great music, but the key to any service will always be for me the preaching of the word. Because my feeling about music could come and go, but God's word forever. Amen. When I don't have a musician, when I don't have a soul, when I'm off key, I may not have all that, but I always have what? The word. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Amen? And every now and then, because John the Baptist was able to tell who Jesus Christ was, every now and then, some of us ought to be able to jump up and down, raise a hand, say glory, hallelujah. Why? Because you know what he's done for you. Nobody has your story but you. I say this not because they're here today, but I can remember when I was at Cedarville College, sitting in the old Jeremiah Chapel back in antiquity. Whenever the truth was coming forth, and we'd have a lot of good preachers come through there. I was, I was, I came from a traditional black church, and I'm sitting there in chapel, and there was times I just want to say, Amen! Raise a hand! I didn't do that. At the time, we only had, I don't know, 900 kids, maybe 9,000, somewhere in there. Eight, 900. Shh. Total silence. Nobody. Now I go up there. Oh, it's a little bit different. Well, wait a minute. The girls are wearing jeans. Back then, we couldn't wear jeans unless it was 32 degrees in the wintertime. There's dresses. Now I'm seeing hands going up. And I'm going, what? What's happening up here? What? To have a relationship with Jesus every now and then, you've got to be able to express it. Now, if you can shout for your Bengals, your Steelers, your Vikings, whoever, <laughs> can we not raise a holy hand to God? Has God not done something for you? Are you willing to be a witness? People, listen, the world wants to know if this God is so great, what makes him great? 
And what has he done for you? Or what is he doing for you? And for us to be silent is an indictment on us. When everything that Jesus wants to be, be what? Witnesses unto me. Testify, show people that the same God that you're talking about up here is the same God that's in your life every single day. And I was sharing in Sunday school, and I use these, the, some of the students I've seen. When you don't know where your next money is coming from for college, and God blesses you, somebody you don't even know says, here, here's $5,000 or $2,000 or $200. I want to use it towards your, and you had no clue where that come from or who that person is. You got a reason to shout. You can't sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh, you're almost thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it next year or this year or what I'm going to do this summer and something happens. Hey, but not just with them, with us. What is, God, what is God doing in your life right now? Some of us have been sick. Some of us have been in the hospital. Some of us had loved ones in the hospital. Some, all that happened, and yet they came through all that. And you're telling me because they, you were able to go through maybe you're still in it. We talk about Hagar and Sarah and Abraham. Ten years waiting for the promise one to be. Ten years. You're telling God, it's been a year now. I can't go through it anymore. Just wait nine more. And then talk to God about your problems. The same God. The same God that promised that the son was going to be born. It's the same God ten years later. Our problem is we get ahead of God. Oh, well, God, you know, I don't want to wait. I want it now. That's not how God operates. Jesus is, 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 is trying to show these people, listen, listen. You want witnesses? My first witness I call is John the Baptist. My question to us is, would we be willing to be a witness for Jesus? He closes this by saying he was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a little time. But he says, but the testimony... I have given, I have is greater than that of John. And he goes on and talks about his works. John was a little, was the, the lampstand. Jesus is the light. But the key thing is he's his first witness that he hopes will turn these people's attention to who he really is. Next he talks about what he did. Oh, okay, Jesus, you call up John the Baptist. Now who, who's next on the witness stand? John sit down. Next, my works, what have I done? And we're going to learn what he did. He fed, he healed, he did, he did all that. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, come to a close. Isn't it interesting that all that Jesus does, he talks about the witness of the Father, he talks about John the Baptist, he talks about his works, he talks about the scriptures that came through Moses. All that should have established that who Jesus was. And still, people did not believe. Guess what? Same thing today. We have more truth deposited in our lives than we could ever imagine. We have all means of getting truth out. We've got internet. We've got uh, smartphones. We've got, you name it, we got it. And seemingly, people are getting worse instead of better. It's easier to talk on your cell phone and communicate by email and text than it is to look somebody in the eye right across from the table and say it word for word. We got a whole generation going up that will not be able to sit down and have an interview for a job because they never had to do it. Companies don't even do it anymore. My son, when he was going to look for a job, he was doing all his interviews via uh, internet, the interview and all that. I'm like, wow, that's pretty interesting. I understand the convenience and all. I get that. But the same thing, we can't learn how to relate to one another. Amen? I want to finish with this passage here. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen? Hearts of stone made soft from the power of the word of God. I will take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Did you catch what he said? I will put my law within them. I, I will write it on their hearts. Not so much the beat, beat thing, but who we are on the inside, the very core of our being. And I will be their God. I will be your God. They shall be my people, and you will be my people. That's what God wants to do. For everybody that's here today, take our hearts of stone and change us. My challenge to us is, as Jesus called John the Baptist to be a witness, will you and I be willing to be a witness for him? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the scripture. And as we go through the next three or four avenues of the witnesses about Jesus, we were introduced to John the Baptist. And then we're going to talk about his works. And then we're going to talk about the scriptures. And then we're going to talk about the fact that the Father himself even expressed who Jesus is. Help us, Lord. Really help us to take the written word, make it the living word in all of our life. We thank you. To be honest, we can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. We don't deserve all you've done, but we thank you. It's not about our deserving. It's about your graciousness, about your mercy, about your loving kindness that you've extended to us. Lord, we thank you. Praise you. And we ask it all. As Pastor Bell likes to say, in the marvelous, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.